0: The real issue in this industry is a cost problem. The cost to, to service clients is just too high. And it's a big enough market that the industry can kind of naturally gravitate towards the high net worth clients. And there's plenty of uh, money to be made up there. But there's an enormous need for folks. You know, here you have 8 million people who've already opted into working with a human advisor, even though they're getting screwed. And so, so for us, it was like, okay, there, there's an enormous sort of readily available market, but then there's a much bigger market. If we can lower the costs and increase access, we can open up high-quality financial planning to folks who either can't afford it right now or don't think that they can afford it right now.
1: In 2015, when Anders Jones heard about the newly announced DOL fiduciary rule, a light bulb went off in his head. He saw an opportunity in the 8 million accounts that broker-dealers would have to jettison because they were just too small to be profitable in the new fee-based world. This was one of the driving factors behind the launch of Facet Wealth with Jones as CEO, which is built around a subscription model that's a perfect fit for small accounts. I spoke to Jones about his firm's competitors, their business model, and why they shouldn't be called a robo-advisor, and more on this episode of the WM Today podcast. joining me here in the wonderful world of wealth tech. This is the phase three reopening version of the WM Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting company called Ezra Group. We help wealth management firms and their vendors make better business and technology decisions through our advice and research. And on this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in our industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. And before we go on, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode on your social media networks. And I'd like to welcome my guest on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, Anders Jones, the co-founder and CEO of Facet Wealth. Hey, Anders.
0: Hey, Craig. Thanks for having
1: me. I'm glad you can make it. It's been a while since we saw each other. We were just chatting about the last time we were together, which was the last time anyone was together in the industry was at a conference last summer. Yeah. Right?
0: I know. Who would have thought that we would all miss conferences as much as we do?
1: We wouldn't miss the food or the crowding or the, the hotels or the, you know, the sitting in you know, chairs listening to people talk all day. Yeah, we'd miss all that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It would be nice when, when we can go back to that.
1: Yeah, you know, now everything's going virtual. Are there going to be in any virtual conferences?
0: Nothing is on the radar right now, although, um, uh, you know, we actually, FACET got nominated for a couple categories of the, the wealthies. So I think wealthies we'll are certainly, great. Uh, certainly check those out. Right, Wealthmanic.com,
1: big yeah. uh, friends of our of our podcast and of our blog. We and I, I always go to that. They always invite me. Very 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 nice to invite me to that every year. So looking forward to seeing you win yeah. in whatever categories you're in. Fingers crossed. Right. We'll see. It's it, we have, We're, we're in,
0: in good company amongst the finalists. So so just happy to just be considered.
1: I would hope so. So uh, can you do a quick 30-second elevator pitch for Facet Wealth?
0: Absolutely. So uh, Facet is a financial services company that is very focused on holistic financial planning for the mass affluent market. So we really see a need for folks who have enough nuance and complexity in their financial life that they need to speak with a human. They need to work with an expert. So all of our clients work with a dedicated certified financial planner. Um, But the flip side is they don't have the asset level that uh, traditional advisors, um, you know, really get excited about or that sort of falls into the traditional wealth management wheelhouse. So it's an enormous market. It's about 33 million um, households in the U S and we really try and solve the problem by, building great technology so that our, our planners are way more efficient, can work with a higher number of clients, and then that drives the overall cost down to the end client. The other thing that's a bit unique about us is that we charge an annual subscription. Uh, so we don't charge based on revenue, or excuse me, on, uh, on, on assets. Um, all of our revenue is generated through basically a recurring uh, subscription model makes us uh i think a, a bit unique and and uh really tries to align value with cost um instead of you know for what else is essentially an arbitrary number which is how much money you have
1: yeah and it's also what we call scalable where it, it doesn't it doesn't grow with the client with the, your client's assets which is not scalable it's, it's a flat, relatively yeah. flat charge that they, as they grow, they keep playing that same fixed price.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we really think about it in terms of when we onboard a client, we look at all the things that we're going to be helping them with. Um, and then we back into essentially a, an amount of time and resources that we're expending on our end. Uh, so, you know, so really it's sort of a, a, a fair, um, you know, we expect that we're going to spend X number of hours per year with you. Sometimes we'll spend more, sometimes we'll spend less. And we've identified the nine to 10 different things that will really help you get your financial life to the next step or the next level. And, you know, the other thing is that planning evolves over time for each client, right? So the set of issues that you have today are very different than the set of issues that you're going to have two years from now. And so, you know, we think it just sets us up nicely to kind of touch in every year, check in on what are the different uh, things that we're helping you with and, you know, making sure that we're very aligned with, with your needs.
1: I like that planning evolves for each client yeah so how do you compare yourself what other firms do you compare yourself to I know you're probably saying well we're unique in the industry but people are going to compare you or you're you're an RIA platform in effect so there's lots of them out there so who do you normally get compared against
0: yeah I mean like you know I wouldn't be an entrepreneur uh mm-hmm. you know uh with my salt if I said if I didn't say you know we're, we're mm-hmm. totally unique right but um so so i think that there are a number of companies doing bits and pieces of what we do but no one has really kind of put it together in the same way that we have so if you think about you know some of our core focuses are uh, full planning, you know, there, there are a number of companies out there that are doing sort of, you know, full financial planning for clients, like, you know, personal capital comes to mind. Um, but they charge a, a mm-hmm. base point fee, and they're sort of, you know, limits from a, an asset standpoint mm-hmm. before you get access to a dedicated CFP, you know, subscription based, well, you could make the argument that, that XYPN, even though they're not really sort of, it's a different business model, but XYPN advisors are are subscription based, but they're more sort of there. I mean, the big difference there is that the XYPN advisors are sort of running their own shops. You know, Facet, all of our advisors are W2 employees, where you know we are the the company that you know has the client mm-hmm. relationship and has the, the planner working for us. And then you can look at a place like Vanguard that has you know big folks on low cost, they mm-hmm. have what I would call sort of planning light within. You know, we've looked extensively at the PAS model and trying to understand sort of what they're providing, I think. They're great for asset allocation and mm-hmm. uh, you know some retirement planning, but once you get beyond that, there's a lot of um, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that that those advisors aren't really empowered to to help you with. So, you know, like I said, there's there's a lot of different companies out there doing doing bits and pieces, but you know, we I, I feel like we've put it together in a fairly unique way.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned personal capital and Vanguard. Do you see your firm as a robo advisor or a robo platform?
0: No. No, not at all. I mean, we actually only manage money for maybe 50% of our clients. So, you know, our, the value that our clients get is in the financial planning. We're happy to manage money. We do a great job of it. Our offering looks very similar to a, a robo in that it's broadly diversified, it's low cost, and it's uh, pretty simple. And, and, you know, we don't try and do anything fancy like add alpha over a benchmark or anything like that. You know, we, we just, it, mm-hmm. in some cases, clients come to us and they're in, you know, high fee products and we can move them over to, to our models and save them a lot of money. And that's the only reason mm-hmm. why we would do it. So, no, our focus is very much planning first and human first, not DIY robo.
1: So, I want to go back in time a little bit. Can you, what was the, uh, the yeah. pitch? You, you were at a, a VC firm called uh, Argyle ventures mm-hmm. right yeah and what made you what's what, what stuck out in the industry in your research that gave you the impetus to start facet
0: so the the couple things so this is in 2014 2015 time frame this is right around the time when the Robos were getting a lot of initial funding and and initial attention mm-hmm. there were it was clear there was a lot of value shifting around in the industry and there were a lot of next generation product companies that were coming to life. And then I think the real aha moment for the founding team was when we, actually it it has roots in the DOL rule, when basically the the DOL rule was published and the industry pushback was, if you do this, you're going to have 8 million households that lose their uh, advisor relationship because they can't afford to both service the client and act in their best interest. That was when a light bulb went off and said, you know, the real issue in this industry is a cost problem. The cost to, to service clients is just is, is too high. And, you know, it's a big enough market that, that you know, the, the industry can kind of naturally gravitate towards the high net worth clients. And there's plenty of uh, money to be made up there. But there's an enormous need for folks. You know, here you have 8 million people who've already opted into working with a human advisor, even though they're getting screwed. And so for us, it was like, okay, there's an enormous sort of readily available market. uh, But then there's a a much bigger market. If we can lower the cost and increase access, um, we can open up, you know, high quality financial planning to folks who either can't afford it right now or don't think they can afford it right now.
1: And how did you, when you're talking to people to, when you raise money, you raised $40 million. Mm -hmm. What was your pitch? Did you say like, we're such, we're like this and this, like, what was your combination of things that they know about to, to, to put that in there, in there uh, to understand the concept?
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And actually our fundraising story is a little bit unique. So we raised a, a $33 million Series A from Warburg Pincus. And so I think kind of two things that are unique about that. One is companies outside of like the biotech space typically don't raise Series A's that large. Um, and Warburg Pincus typically doesn't do uh, Series A's at, at all. And so for us, it was really sort of a meeting of the minds. They're a very thesis driven investor and a casual conversation with uh, one of the principals there. And he said, look, we've got this, this deck on the future of wealth management that uh, you know has 60 slides and you guys hit 58 out of the 60 slides. And then I was like, huh, oh, well, we should talk. And so, they were actually willing to basically sort of flex outside of their typical area of, of investment and, you know, write it, uh, what for them is a very small check into, into a company that was very early stage at that point. So it was... I wouldn't say that there was any one specific pitch where, where we sort of said, okay, you know, this is how we're going to sell fast. And it's sort of like, hey, here's what we're doing. And they say, man, we think this is the future of, of wealth management for the mass affluent. And they have a history, right? I mean, they were in the mutual fund store and then they stayed in financial engines when, when engines bought them. And so, uh, you know, they, they have a, a history of trying to figure out how to work with the mass affluent. And I think we were sort of a natural extension of that.
1: I'm taking a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, and if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that I'm talking about the Invest in Others Foundation, a great charity that raises money to give, uh, give that money to advisors' charities. So charities that are supported, sometimes created by, also supported by financial advisors. And I was honored this year to be a judge for the Global Impact Award, which was for charities that are outside the U.S. And these are fantastic charities. One of the things I love about the Invest in Others Foundation is that the money you donate can go all over the world and help people everywhere. And I just wanted to touch base about one of the charities called Mission Madeira, M-A-D-E-R-A. It's based in Denville, New Jersey which is uh, where the advisor, I imagine, his office is. But the people they help are in Uganda. Uh, this advisor went to Uganda to do some some volunteer work and found a, a girls' school, St. Anne's Girls' Primary School, and a school for the blind with over, over a 1,000 young girls with just ho- terrible conditions. Difficult to learn for students and hard, hard to get out of poverty if you can't, if you can't learn. Uh, this advisor took this school under his wing and spent years helping to build it, hiring contractors, uh, fixing the plumbing fixing the roofs pouring concrete floors and uh, one of the the quotes that really got to me uh when reading about this charity was the the principal of the school It was a nun when asked what was your biggest need What's when the advisor first got there and she said I, I would just like to get the girls out of the dirt because they had to take their meals sitting on the ground in the dirt so uh, uh really not the best conditions uh for learning and this advisor hired contractors there and, and who built tables and benches so at least the girls had a little dignity and could sit while they eat uh, he also built uh, uh, bought computers built a computer lab uh, bought new software specifically for blind students of course the floors the ceilings you know, building out the dormitories made it a place where girls can live and and, and learn uh, and actually get an education really tremendous work uh by this advisor in uganda so uh I would advise everyone to go to investinothers.org and make as big a donation as you can and tell your employer about it. So hopefully they can uh, match your donation and you've done double good. Thanks very much. Uh, That's what you like to hear. You want to hear you hit 58 of our 60 points. Exactly, yeah. You get much more overlap than that, unless it was 99 out of 100 points.
0: Yeah. Well, um, they, they've been awesome to work with. And even though it was a, it was a strange, you know, a strange marriage, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was definitely the right one for us.
1: So we talk about one of the uh, points you you were raising earlier was about how the pandemic has validated Mm -hmm. faster Wealth's business model. Can you talk about why that is?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's a couple of key points. So one is we closed our office on a Thursday and Friday morning it was business as usual, one of the things I don't think I mentioned in my elevator pitch just now is that we're a virtual company. So um, all of our CFPs work from home and all of our client meetings are done uh, via Zoom. And we've been doing that since 2016. So since, since day one. So 80% of our team, we're about 120 people now, but 80% of our team work from home to begin with. So it wasn't that big of a deal for us to close our office and sort of move to, to purely virtual. Then you look at some stories about some of the larger legacy companies, I won't name any names, but, you know, that have really struggled to adapt to the kind of virtual uh, virtual environment. So, um, so I think in that sense, you know, we're, we are sort of where the puck is going from a how the future of work is going to, to happen standpoint. And I think the second point is that, you know, s- still staying in March, you look at you had two weeks of insane volatility. The, you know, no one really knew what was going on. Um, our onboarding rate basically doubled. We went from adding, you know, about 50 new clients uh, a week to adding a hundred new clients a week. Cause you had a lot of people who are staying at home saying, Oh my God, I don't know what to do with my financial life. We're the only firm that was ready to go virtually that sort of could say, Hey, you know, we, we were built for a virtual world. So, um, you know, so, so, so it's easy to work with. And in that set, of, you know, that those two weeks, mm-hmm. most portfolios had lost 30% of their value. So, those hooks were a lot less interesting to uh, to traditional advisors, and uh, and perfect for us and, and our fee models. So, so, so you know, we certainly saw uh, an an increase in demand there, and I think our existing clients really appreciated the fact that we were there and ready to work with them, sort of you know without without a a, a hiccup. And what's been interesting is that that pace of growth has sort of stayed the same for us uh, since then. So even though it's hard to say the world's back to normal now, but you know, even as things are starting to return to where they once were, uh, the demand has has not slowed down.
1: That's a hundred clients a week. That's impressive. That's that's a pretty good clip.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have I, you know, it's hard to know sort of inside uh, inside numbers for all the firms, but I think we we have to be you know in the top one percent of fastest growing uh, RIAs in the country right now. I would think.
1: Yeah, you think it's, it seems the way. I mean, I don't know of any. I've been talking to a lot of RIAs the past couple of weeks, and no one's adding that many new clients. Uh, although, you, how many actual advisors are on your platform?
0: Uh, we've got forty three currently.
1: Okay. Yeah, for only forty three advisors, that's each advisor adding adding two and a half new clients per week.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we have a whole model that we've we've worked out around how how our advisors onboard clients. And sort of what that flow looks like. I mean, there has to be some method to the madness, or else uh, you know it gets it gets out of control very quickly. So we have a we have a model where you know there, there's heavy onboarding weeks, and then there's sort of the the client catch up weeks where you know you start you spend time on your existing clients, and you go back to heavy onboarding and all that. So it's an imperfect science for sure, but we've um, you know I think we've we've done a, a reasonably good job of figuring out how to meter that flow uh, on an advisor by
1: advisor level. And do you have a completely digital onboarding?
0: Uh, in the sense that, so, so yes and no. I mean, it's, it's uh, 100% virtual, but we actually have a pretty hands-on onboarding process. We have a team of, uh, 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 we call them client success managers, mm-hmm. but they'll take a prospect from initial inquiry up through understanding what their goals are and how we can help and making sure that they're, it's a mutual good fit and then introducing them to their, uh, to their planners. So in in one sense, it's actually quite hands-on, so we don't have our our clients sort of serving themselves. Um, and, and, you know, we're really digging in right. to make sure that, we, that, that we're going to be a good fit for the client. Um, on the other hand, we don't actually ask any of our planners to do any selling or business development on their own. So,
1: But is your onboarding, does it require any paperwork, any actual paper to be signed by them?
0: No, no, no physical, no, no, no physical papers. The one caveat to that is that you know, depending on various investment accounts and sort of the the product company that we're working with, they might have some paper requirements. But from a facet standpoint, everything is is uh, is digital. Yeah.
1: And did you build all of your own technology, or are you built on top of something else? Did you build all from scratch? I mean, how does that work? Tech, what's your?
0: Uh, For the most part, it's 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 all uh, it's all homemade. Um, So our CRM, our financial planning tools. Um, all of our sort of client deliverables, the various uh, workflow automation, and we have some some sort of light AI right now that's that's working on our on our uh, database. Um, That's all that's all internally uh, built. We have a uh, we use um, Plaid for account linking, Uh, you know, that those pipes already exist, we don't need to rebuild them. Mm. And we use uh, Box for Mm. secure file storage, but I think those are the only two. And then obviously we use Zoom for for video conferencing. So those are the... those.
1: Didn't build your own video conferencing platform?
0: No, you know, there's, it, it's uh, build, building a company is all about making trade-offs. And that did not feel oh. like uh, highest and best use when when we had Zoom no. sitting there.
1: So why build your own CRM? Why not use Salesforce, Redtail, one of the other apps? There's lots of CRMs out there.
0: So if you think about... If, if you take a step back and think about the what are tech... Really is meant to do it 's you know enabling advisors to work with a higher number of clients well the the way you kind of get there is you don 't want to skimp on client facing time so it 's really the prep and wrap up time that an advisor spends in getting ready for a meeting or uh, following up after a meeting that 's where actually the bulk of the uh, the planning work gets done and if you if you look at sort of what that time is, is spent doing it 's actually quite sort of low value ad work from a human standpoint it 's all sort of moving data around and, you know, normalizing reports and putting things into, into, you know, nice looking deliverables and uh, doing calculations, that sort of thing. And so what our tech really tries to do is, is basically eliminate all of that. Um, And to do that, you basically have to start with a, with a database that, uh, you know, that enables that sort of easy uh, transfer of data and, um, and it also allows us to take different looks at our data to see if there are similarities between clients, if there's, you know, similarities between financial planning cases where we can create smart suggestions. If, you know, we see a set of variables and we see a recommendation that an advisor made, then, you know, we can look at and, and we see another, the same set of variables, we can actually give a smart recommendation there. Um and of course, we anonymize all that stuff, so we're not actually you know exposing client data or anything like that. but having that that CRM backbone and database backbone for us is actually is a competitive advantage, I think.
1: How about the investment management piece? you have a portfolio rebalancer, portfolio management tools?
0: Um, yeah, so we we work with uh, with bestmark and we basically outsource all that to them. So you know we're not again trying to Thinking about sort of highest and best use of our tech dollars, that is a problem that's been Mm -hmm. solved many times over and there's some great vendors out there. So, you know, the way that we're really going to add value as a client, as a company and, and grow our value is to focus on how we enable our advisors to be to be more productive. And that's that's one that is an easy one, easy solve sort of off the shelf.
1: Indeed. So, why VestMark? Did you look at other vendors? What was what were their what were their strengths that made you pick them?
0: You know, we have a, a an investment ops team that made that choice, and I think you know, in general, uh, there was a a sort of uh, very hands on component where there was a, a, an ease of use on, on our on our part where we didn't have to hire a huge number of bodies to um, you know to to do all the stuff. We we're multi custodian right now as well, so uh, you know we work across four different custodians, and so that. Best market enabled us to get rid of some of the complexity associated with that, at least internally.
1: Are you you working when you see the four? Is that the big four? Yeah. Big four. All right. you work with all four of them.
0: Yeah. Big, big four about to be the big three, I guess.
1: About to be the big three. Yes, exactly. Uh, That's the Is there any issue with that? Do you see that uh, changing the business at all, or is that just going to be another step in the road towards one custodian?
0: So, it's an interesting. It's an interesting question. I mean, putting on my sort of, you know, my my crystal ball, or or, or looking to my my crystal ball for what it's worth, you know, the the custodial business model is certainly changing. I think at a much more rapid pace than um, than any of us expected would happen twelve months ago. And so, if you think about I have this whole thesis around sort of the the wealth tech landscape and and how there are a lot of companies out there, you know, there's a saying in Silicon Valley that's, you know, this this is a, a feature masquerading as a product, masquerading as a company. I think there are a lot of wealth tech companies out there that sell into advisors with something that is would make a great feature in a bigger suite of tools or or a bigger sort of standalone product. Um, and you know, if you if you look at sort of you know the the landscape distribution to advisors, especially on the tech side, is really really hard to do because you're basically selling to uh, you know to small business owners who need a a number of tech solutions but don't necessarily have the sophistication or the, the the experience to string together five different tools and make them all work together. Um, you know each advisor has a unique planning process and you know trying to build tech to sell into that market I think is really difficult so then it begs the question how do you you know how does that landscape evolve right because advisors need technology and and so who who has the sort of ability to help design a standardized process um, pull a bunch of technology together and make it all work together in a sort of off-the-shelf kind of way and already has the distribution into advisors, well, it's custodians. And so, uh, you know, so so my sort of non-obvious five-year thesis is that five years from now, one of the big custodians will actually look a lot more like a SaaS business than a custody platform.
1: Okay. You don't say which one, though. You just think one of them.
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about the inner workings. I mean, you know, Fidelity certainly has been uh, making the biggest moves with their, their acquisition of various tech companies. So that would be sort of the front runner, but I, you know, I don't certainly don't have any inside knowledge there. Yeah.
1: And, and Schwab is kind of doing the opposite, right? They, they sold off portfolio center to Investnet. Yeah. There's yep. rumors they're going to, they're going to trash uh, Veo. Then that's that's not going to last very long. So they they seem to be banking on the fact that advisors don't want tech from their custodians. Mm -hmm.
0: That's right. Um, You know, and I mean, you know, you can imagine a crazy world in which investment becomes a custodian, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then there's Apex out there too. I I don't know a ton about their business, but you know, they also seem to be one of the more tech-forward firms out there as well. So. Yeah there's a lot of really interesting strategic moves that could be made over the course of the next um uh, uh, the next few years.
1: Let's talk more about the um uh subscription model which I think is is really interesting and I I I feel that this is the future of wealth. Once people are realizing that there's not that much more work involved in managing a $100,000 account versus a $200,000 account and so on but they're paying twice as much. I think more Customers are going to want, are going to start demanding a subscription model. So I see you as being ahead of the curve. And when we last were in the same room together, was at the conference, you were talking about subscription models with, uh, with uh, Alan Moore from XYPN. And I just wanted to throw out a couple of things you had said uh, from my notes on that, during that, that panel. So you said the AUM model makes no sense given the commoditization of asset management and how little value advisors add in this area.
0: Yeah, no, I still very much agree with that. I think that, you know, if you go back 20 years, you could make the argument that advisors actually did add value through through asset management. Um, and, uh, and you know, some of them probably destroyed a lot of value uh, as well. So, um, uh, but that was sort of the core value problem they went to their clients with, which is, hey, you know, if, if you give me your money, I will do my best to make you more money from that money. Today, we're moving to a world where, the the sort of smart thing for the vast majority of investors is market exposure. You participate in the market through cheap index funds. You get broad diversification. You're sort of set. And the way that advisors uh, add a lot of value is uh, through financial planning. And you know, there's that great Vanguard study around sort of uh, behavioral alpha, right? That has, has nothing to do with touching your money. It's all about managing your behavior, managing your spending. Mm-hmm. Et cetera. And so I, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that the world is moving in that, in that direction and that the consumer of tomorrow is much more interested in the, the non-asset management aspects of financial planning. So given that, the, 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 the pricing model, the way that advisors charge has to, has to update um, and has to evolve with it. And so, you know, in in any market where you have sort of an inefficient pricing model, at some point it will converge on aligning value with cost. You know, I think we're doing it and sort of, you know, walking the walk by charging a subscription price, which by the way is not, doesn't come without its challenges, right? I mean, we are basically saying we're going to prove our value as a financial planner to you, our client on a monthly basis, because we're charging you on a monthly basis. And so that's a sort of perennial challenge for us to make sure that, Hey, maybe it's not a planning meeting that you're having this month, but how do we give you value in some other way? Whether it's you know information that you got about your financial situation by logging into our platform, whether it's by content that's customized to you, whatever it might be. But there's there's a challenge to continue to add value to the client, which I think, by the way, is at the end of the day is really good for the client because it it pushes the service level um, and the and the sort of expectation of of what you're getting from a financial planner to a different level. And so I think all of this is going to end up being being beneficial to the to the end consumer but all that is to say is that i think we're in this weird moment in time where the vast majority of the industry is charging one way but the way that they're delivering value is actually a very different way and so um you know at some point that's going to change
1: uh, one other thing you had mentioned was uh over the past decade advisor average margin has risen 30 percent, but productivity has remained flat and why is that? Where, mm-hmm. where, where is the data and why is that? Why has productivity remained flat?
0: I'm not sure which study exactly I was quoting. I think McKinsey's done a fair amount of work around this. Um, but so if you look at advisor productivity and measure it by clients per advisor, in 2009 it was about 75 and today it's about 75. So that implies that you know, maybe advisors are more productive but then they're working less or you know whatever whatever it might be. But they're servicing roughly the same number of clients per advisor. Um, And then you look at advisor margins and they have actually risen. I mean, that's, I think there's a ton of work out there. Like, I think um, like Echelon and DeVoe do a a fair amount of uh, research that they they publish around this. And so, so basically if you say, okay, well, there's two ways you can increase your margins. One is operational efficiency um, and cost reduction, or two is you basically grow your revenue on the same cost structure. And since we all know how advisors grow their revenue, which is through additional AUM, it means that, you know, basically they've been making a lot more margin on, um, on market movement. And the market up until a few months ago was, you know, on a 10-year ten, ten tear. And so that's where that margin expansion was coming from. And so it's been really interesting to watch over the last couple of months as COVID has hit. You know, we're at a point in April or May, whenever the market kind of hit the, hit the bottom where um you know i thought for sure there was going to be a huge amount of consolidation in the industry and i think there was going to be a lot of revisiting assumptions around what running a profitable advisor practice actually means the market has now rebounded and so there was a, a momentary dip but uh, you know but now it seems like for the moment anyways you know things are sort of back to where they were um who you know who who knows what's going to happen you know in the next few months but but yeah, so, so my sort of thesis around like, all right, when the market cra- crashes, mm-hmm. there's, you know, the, the fact that no one is invested in, uh, in, in operational efficiency is going to come back to, to haunt folks. Um, the market did not crash in the way that I thought that it would. And so, so that's, um, you know, remains to be seen, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, the one, the one thing that is absolutely true is no one knows what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly right.
1: Exactly right. And one last thing I wanted to bring up that you mentioned, uh, which I thought was, uh, which was funny. Uh, Something from your comments from the panel. Sure. Uh, A non-significant percentage of clients Mm -hmm. think their financial advisor provides advice for free. Yeah. And why is that?
0: Well, I think this gets back to, again, sort of the pricing model of the industry. And I would say, I, I would imagine that most, AUM based uh, kind of fee only clients understand that they're paying their advisor a fee. I think a lot of uh, products Mm -hmm. first advisors, like the, you know, insurance and annuity world. um, I I think there are a lot of consumers that don't understand that, you know, they just bought something from their advisor and got a, you know, financial Mm -hmm. plan Mm -hmm. and that they actually just got hammered on Mm -hmm. a commission. And, and so um, you know, I think that's a that's a a legacy of a product sales heavy industry, which is fortunately I think is disappearing. Um, you know, I think it's going to take a long time, but I, I think that you know the future is pretty clear that um, you know financial planning is a profession, much like being a lawyer or an accountant or a doctor. It's not a Um, you know, the, 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 the days of stock jocks and bond brokers, I think are, are kind of coming to an end. Um, but it's gonna take a while to get there for sure.
1: Everything takes a while. Inertia is a powerful force.
0: It really is. Especially when the amount of money that this industry makes, uh, is what it is, right? Like in Mm -hmm. absolute dollars, you know, the profit margins in this industry are are insane. And, uh, Mm -hmm. that definitely slows down innovation and change.
1: Anders, uh, I really appreciate your time. We're we've run to the end of this uh, this segment, this uh, this episode. I want to thank you for appearing here and wish you the best of luck. And hopefully seeing you again soon at the next conference when we can have conferences.
0: Awesome, Craig. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, look look forward to doing doing this in person one day.
1: Absolutely. Hey, it's Craig again. This was a great interview. I really enjoyed uh, talking, to Anders. Really interesting stuff. I didn't know some of the things about facet wealth that he told us about. A uh, I, I'm always interested in the tech stack of these firms and how they're putting together, how they pick different uh, vendors to bring together and, and why they're building stuff from scratch versus outsourcing certain things. Always interesting to hear where they see their value added uh, and where their opportunities lie. I like the uh, his take on the Schwab trade, where uh, you know, that's uh, the biggest change in custody and how they're seeing that and really what they're going with with the industry where they're what they're trying to do to revolutionize things and really disrupt financial planning and advice. So please remember to subscribe and like this podcast and I will talk to you all again next time.